seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Man, there is so much great stuff in that, in that short passage. For the purpose of time today, we're not going to talk about all of it, but we're going to hone in on, on some of these parts of this passage. I want to tell you a story. Years ago, I felt like God was trying to teach me something important about how to regularly release my stress. And every time I would try to, like, tell somebody what I was learning, I, I, I felt like I couldn't really describe it. Like, like, there was, I don't know, I was trying to come up with a picture of what God was trying to say to me, but I, I couldn't put my finger on it. Have you guys ever felt that way before? Like, you're just like something is happening in your heart, but you don't know how to put words to it yet? Then one day I was doing a one-on-one with one of our core group leaders, Sean Chaco, the legend, Sean C. Chillips. He loves Detroit Pistons, so I call him Sean C. Chillips. Anyway, most of you won't get that reference. Um, so we were, we were doing a one-on-one, and we were just hanging out. And, and that summer, Sean had had an internship, and part of his job in his internship was to monitor these gas tanks. He was supposed to monitor the pressure in these tanks to make sure that the pressure was, was at an optimal point. Um, and as he was talking about this, he was telling me, like, how they make sure at, the pressure doesn't get too high and how it doesn't get too low and stuff. And I was like, this is what I've been trying to, this is what I'm learning about. Like, this is what the Holy Spirit has been trying to teach me. And this is the picture that he's been trying to give me. Do you have a picture of, the, of, the, of a tank? It's a tank like this, these giant tanks. And so if that pressure gets too high in that tank, and that's not going to be a good thing. It's going to blow. Um, and so as the Holy Spirit was kind of showing me, and it, it, it feels kind of funny and kind of quirky, but I really felt like God was speaking to me t- through Sean as he was talking about his internship. And so I started asking him question after question. I mean, literally 30 minutes conservatively, maybe 45 minutes, I was asking him, like, it, it became him, like, doing a one-on-one for me. He was discipling me. And, and so I was asking him, like, so how do you keep the pressure from getting too high? And he was like, well, you have to put vents on the tank and, like, these valves that, that if the tank reaches a certain pressure, the valves open and release the pressure and bring it back down to a safe space. And he also told me that not only do you want to make sure the pressure doesn't get too high, but you, you want to make sure that the pressure doesn't get too low as well. And I was like, what, why do you care if the pressure's too low? And he's like, well, if the pressure's too low, then that means that not enough of the product, not enough gas is flowing through the line. And so you're not, you're wasting your potential. You could be producing more and, you know, making more money in this company. And I was like, are you serious? Like, pressure needs to, be, like, if it's too low, that's a problem. If it's too high, it's a problem also. Um, and so I, God started speaking to me through this, of course, for my life. I realized that I wasn't handling pressure well, that sometimes my pressure would get too high, and then I would start acting stupid, being mean, <laughs> treating people poorly, um, and also sometimes the pressure would get too low, and I wasn't, I wasn't, didn't have enough, I don't know, motivation or incentive in my life. I wasn't achieving everything God wanted me to achieve, and I was kind of like vacillating between these two extremes. And God was trying to tell me that sometimes I need to decrease my pressure. Sometimes I need to increase the pressure. So is all stress bad? Do you think is stress all bad? No. There you go. You, know, you must know some latest research. 
So uh, this the, guy's always reading the research. University of uh, Georgia actually came out with a study about a year ago um, that showed that people who don't have enough pressure um, actually are, don't function well mental health-wise, that they actually aren't resilient, that when people have been kind of in a situation of no pressure, if all you've ever done is like lay on the beach with people tending to your every need, then you don't know how to respond if something uh, stressful comes your way. And so the study actually showed that low to moderate levels of stress actually help people be in an optimal place of mental health. Um, it's just, is it a stress that is something functional and actually propelling you in your life, like the stress of other people in your life saying this is a deadline, this is your productivity levels, this is where you need to be productive. Um, that is a stress, but it's actually a good stress. It's actually a stress that helps us to function. And so uh, the answer, even in psychological research, isn't just to remove everything from your life. And we've seen Hollywood be a good example of that. Like, do people who are really, really wealthy, are, are rich and famous, like, are they mentally well? No. Yeah. So, case example. Yeah, many times not. And, and actually, uh, statistically, suicide is higher. There's a higher percentage of suicide amongst wealthy people than there is amongst, amongst poor people. Um, and that doesn't seem to make sense because I think that a lot of times we feel like our response to stress needs to be to just get rid of all of it, right? Like the dream is just to have, to work hard and get to a place where we can just do nothing for the rest of our lives and have no stress anymore. And I just don't think that that's the way God designed human beings. And that's not what this passage teaches us either. Look back at 1 Peter 5. Right after St. Peter tells us to cast our anxieties, oh man, that's some Pastor Nino influence right there. I just called him St. Peter, hallelujah. And influence of like Christians for 2,000 years, so to be fair. Um, so right after St. Peter encourages us to cast our anxieties on God, he follows up by telling us what? You go ahead and say it. Someone say it. It says, cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you, and then what? Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith. So that doesn't sound like detaching from all stress, does it? When it says, be sober-minded, watchful, resist him. So Peter's not trying to tell us that we need a, a, a stress-free life, right? He's trying to teach us that there are healthy ways to deal with our stress so that our stress doesn't rule us, right? There are ways. Um, your stress does not have to dictate your mood, your joy, right? The way you treat other people, your relationship with God. Um, you can handle stress in a way that's healthy. And so the point is not trying to, like, I don't know, get your stress super low. The point is, how can I respond to stress in healthful ways and productive ways that are actually healthy for my soul and healthy for those around me? And this reinforces our gas tank theory. So I think Peter reinforces our gas tank theory of finding an optimal level of stress that we can operate in order to achieve um, not a life of ease, but a life of maximum fruitfulness. So just to reiterate, we need to keep our stress from getting too high by learning to vent it, but we also need to keep our stress 
we don't need to avoid stress, right? We shouldn't run from stress and just be okay with not doing anything for God. So why does this verse, casting your anxieties on God, why does it tell us to do that? Why does it tell us to cast our anxieties on God? Because what? Because he cares for you. So God cares. I think this, this word cares kind of can mean a couple different things. God cares about you, meaning that he wants to hear what's bothering you. So as you cast your anxieties on God, he's, he doesn't get annoyed by that. He wants to hear what bothers you. And we need to tell him what bothers us. Um, for the longest time, I felt like ignoring my stress was the best way to handle it. I honestly felt that way. And maybe some of you do as well. But looking back at it now, I'm like, how did I think that that was a healthy way to deal with my stress? I thought that the scripture that says, take every thought captive, means you just like, as soon as a bad thought comes in your mind, or a stressful thought, or an anxious thought, or a fearful thought comes into my mind, I'm just like, nope, I'm not thinking that. And then I move on and I try to, you know, think better thoughts. That's not what it means. It means that we take it captive under the lordship of Jesus Christ. Julie might talk a little bit more about that later. Um, we submit it to Christ, right? So you in order to cast your anxieties on Jesus, you have to admit that there are anxieties, right? And you tell him about it. Um, God knows what you're thinking and feeling, but you need to tell him what you're thinking and feeling. I've had some, like, really nasty prayer sessions in my prayer closet at home sometimes of just, like, a half hour, 45 minutes, just spilling my guts to God and telling him everything that, that's ticking me off. And then after that, I'm like, oh, I feel like I've just vented my pressure. And now I'm, I'm, I feel healthier, even though God already knew it, right? Um, so God cares about hearing what's stressing you out. But also, he cares for you like a mother cares for her baby. Like he actually does stuff to change your situation as you cast your anxieties on him. So he cares about you and he cares for you. God has the desire not just to hear, but he has the desire to act and the ability to act on your behalf. So when we vent our stress to God, then he uh, kicks into high gear to answer those, those problems, and he also speaks to us and gives us his perspective on what to do about those things. Does that make sense? Also about this verse, how much of your anxiety does, does God want you to cast on him? What does it say? All of it. All of it. So does God get tired or annoyed when you are talking to him too much about what bothers you? No. He wants to hear all of it. Tell me everything, son. Tell me everything, daughter. Tell me, tell me your temptations. Tell me your fears. Tell me your hurts, your wounds. All of these things, like all your anxieties on him until it's all released, right? which sometimes takes some time. Okay, so what is anxiety? And I wanna be clear here because um, just a couple things I don't wanna not say. <laughs> um, one is that there's something called clinical anxiety that you can get a diagnosis for, a mental health diagnosis, and there are times that this is a hereditary kind of clinical issue that um, that at times a professional who's working with you, who's understanding the whole picture, might recommend some medicine for, 
um, to kind of help with those chemical levels that would make people really, really prone to this in a high way. Um, and that is not ungodly, you know? I mean, God has created doctors, he's created medicine, um, and that medications can be helpful in these things. And so everything that we're talking about should also always exist, though, um, because even science shows, secular science will show that medication alone for any mental health disorder is not the most effective way of handling it, that it's a combination of medication along with behavioral changes. And at the core of anxiety, all professionals, even secularly, will tell you that it's a dealing with the thoughts and the beliefs will actually improve the situation, even when there's a clinical anxiety. So all people experience levels of anxiety and symptoms of anxiety, and then sometimes it gets to a clinical level. But no matter, all of these things hold true. Yeah, and whether it's uh, medicine for your mind or for your body, like, our hope is in Jesus, right? Like, if the doctor tells you to do physical therapy or take a medication or whatever, and you take it, you're not, you don't have less faith. But if you're putting your hope in that medicine or in that doctor, your eternal hope, then obviously that's not a faithful perspective. So if you take medicine, like we understand that Jesus is our health. Jesus is the health for our minds. He's the health for our bodies eternally. Um, but it's not like it's, it's like less faith if you take medicine that a doctor tells you to take, right? Yep. So what is it? Um, do you have the bear slide? Okay. So actually, you know, when God created uh, mankind, in the beginning, male and female, what did he say about it? Did he say, oh, I kind of did a bad job. It was very, very good. He said it was very good. He didn't just say good. He said it was very good. And that wasn't just the creation of, like, what we can see. That was also the creation of our brains, the way that our whole limbic system functions. So there's something called the limbic system, and those of you who are, have been in like the health sciences, you've probably learned about or this. Or Conquer Series. Or Conquer Series, which you should come to this Thursday if you're a male. Heck yeah. At all. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, yeah, anyway. Um, so, the limbic system. So the limbic system, God created, and it was good. It was very good. And the limbic system is, um, a combination between our mental, our mind, our brain, and our body. And what happens is when we have some kind of stimuli, which could be a thought that we're thinking we're in danger, or it could be a sensory experience that we're in danger, like if you started hearing the music, da da all of a sudden we're wired to be like, where's the shark, you know? Um, but if we like, hear a bump in the night, or we, you know, see something that's scary, this all starts this limbic response. So it can happen different ways, but the limbic response is all of a sudden we're heightened, um, and all of a sudden we have these different responses. So one example would be, let's say you're out on a nice peaceful trail walk in Tennessee with your family, and you didn't really research much about this Tennessee. I don't know if these live in Tennessee or not, do they? Canada. Let's say Canada. Black Bears Canada. Do. Okay, Canada. So you're out in Canada, and you haven't really researched much, and you've got some kiddos with you, your kids, your future family maybe, and you're just on a nice little stroll. Then all of a sudden, between you and one of your children is that, right? Okay. So you, this grizzly bear is like up like that. 
Um, all, are you just going to be calm and chill? Like, would it be appropriate or right or mentally sound if you were just like, oh, I'm just, huh, I think I'm going to take a nap right now. I'm really calm. I'm really super chill. Would that be I appropriate? I just trust in the Lord. Yeah. Would that be appropriate? No, right? So what happens in this very good limbic system that God created is that um, we have hypervigilance. So we actually feel like an adrenaline rush. We feel a heightened alertness. And we start, our thoughts start going a lot quicker. And we start thinking, what do I need to do about this danger? So we're thinking quickly. Our hearts are racing a little bit faster. We get a rush of adrenaline because if you're going to fight that thing, you know, your body's getting ready, right? And you are going to fight it. Fight the grizzly for your child's life. Okay. So you're planning a response. And then, and then the weird thing is, is that, um, or the cool thing that God designed is that we have a fight, a flight, or a freeze response. So freeze is also part of this that God wired in us to protect because it might be that the bear is sleeping, it might be that you're coming upon a sleeping bear and maybe you need to like hide in a nearby cave or something and be very still. And so we also were wired with sort of a freeze response. And this is all clinical stuff that I'm talking about. Um, we all know this. So that when we have this threat of danger, this is what happens. And if we didn't have this, even for subtle dangers, it's not right, right? Like we're not, it's not, we're not responding in a good way. So like you've seen people who get in a car with someone who's drunk. You know, is this firing correctly? You know, if, if they know someone's drunk, they're about to drive and, they're, and you're hopping in the car with them, is this firing correctly? I mean, you should be a heightened awareness of something is dangerous here. You know, I, I can't do this. Um, or someone's not safe, you know, to be with or to date. You know, these things, we need this. The problem is we live in a simple, broken world where our limbic systems maybe have been damaged by things we've experienced as children um, or growing up throughout our lives, maybe trauma. We could maybe have a family history of anxiety that um, makes us overreactive to threats that aren't actually threats. And maybe we have behaviors in our life that is making us get into this state about things that um, are not things that God wants us to have a, a rising up response like this. Um, do you have the hamster slide? So remember that fight, flight, or freeze, which spells. Okay. So, remember so um, some examples, like I said, where we put ourselves in the situation. Um, Lately, I think some, actually, scientists have been saying that humans are getting in anxious states because of our devices. And oh, don't so, go there. Oh, don't go there. Um, so monitoring how much you're on that is really important because if you've noticed, are you purposely deciding what you're being exposed to when you're scrolling, like, news, social media? Are you, like... Is it definitely going to be uplifting and purposeful what you're taking in? No. And might you get sucked in for like hours of anxious, threatening sorts of things that you're reading that's going to make you get all worked up about these things? Right. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's one way. Um, 
also when we're around people gossiping. So gossip is another area that we can damage our limbic system and put ourselves in this state. Have you ever been in a conversation, and women, I'm just gonna say, we experience this more than men, um, because we are in tune to emotional threats. Like, and that's good, that's a good thing, because when we're raising children, or we're leading a core group, we need to be aware that there's some dynamics going on that we need to handle, right? But gossip goes like this. It's like, did you see her? Do you know what she's doing? You know what's going on? Oh yeah, and this, and I think that this is gonna happen, and when this happens, then this and this and this. And, she, pretty soon she's going to be cheating on everybody's boyfriend in this room, you know? <laughs> and then everyone's like, oh, I'm going to be terrified of her. Now, what are we, then we're all like, what are we, we going to do to handle this? Okay, so are you talking very about? damaging, very <laughs> damaging situation when we get in these kind of gossip conversations. And we, before we even know it, we are all ramped up. We're in that, that's this, she is the grizzly bear. And we are like, you know, trying to get ourselves in the place of fighting the bear which isn't quite what we need to do in that yeah. situation. Yeah, sometimes we see bears that aren't there, or we oh. perceive that a bear's there and it's not there. So we need to switch places on this one, but. We do, yeah, because, let's do that. Because I'm the sloth. <laughs> I'm too lazy to stop being lazy. And Julie tends more towards the hamster wheel, so there are these two extremes, bad ways to respond to stress, right? So one of them, which is what we typically think of when we think of anxiety, is like I'm going, I'm going crazy. I'm, I'm freaking out. I'm having like a panic attack. I'm running on this wheel, but I'm not going anywhere. I'm trying all these things that aren't really helping the problem just because I, I feel like I have to fix it, right? That's not healthy. I think you guys probably understand that. That's not healthy. That's not putting our trust in God that he's going to fix it and then seeking him for, for the action steps to take and not to take them frantically, but to take them in faith, right? Um, and to maintain a level of peace in our hearts. But the other extreme, you, were you going to add something? No. Yeah. The other extreme is what I would tend more towards. And some of you in this room maybe identify with this, maybe not, because I think at U of M we have probably a higher percentage of hamsters than we do sloths. But what, what my response is, is the sloth where I'm going to like shut down. I'm going to like cease functioning. I just like, I need to be by myself and lay in my bed and stare at the ceiling until something goes away. And guess what? It doesn't go away. <laughs> it doesn't change if I lay there and stare at the ceiling. Um, I don't know much about sloths, but every time I see a picture of a sloth, he's by himself. So whether that's true or not, I do know that the unhealthy way that I respond to Why stress... Why has it always got to be a he? Because <laughs> I'm a he. I was born that way. <laughs> Um, what was I saying? Oh, so I know that not only do I shut down and stop, like, like function less, but I also isolate. Like, that's my tendency. God's helped me to not do that as much anymore. But that's kind of like my, the broken way that I respond to stress and anxiety and fear is I'm like, okay, I'm just going to shut down. I'm going to be by myself. And there are times, like, to be fair, I'm an introvert, and that's okay. Like, God made me that way, too. He made me a man, and he made me an introvert. There are times that you need to, to be by yourself and recharge. Right? But it's not like I'm going to be by myself indefinitely. I'm going to be by myself, recharge, so that I can re-engage in community and relationship. Like I'm going to be by myself for an hour or two hours or something like that. And then, and then I'm going to go and hang out with my wife again. And I'm going to hang out with my kids again or my church family or whatever. Like, so it's, it's for the purpose of recharging, not just to avoid all the stress. And that's what I would tend towards. So we want to avoid either extreme, right? 
And um, yeah, I, and I'm going to be vulnerable with you that um, anxiety is something that I have battled, and it's something that my personality would tend towards. And so there's many nights that I'm like up in the middle of the night, and I have these you know, unrealistic fears. Sometimes it's like real concerns. And sometimes the Holy Spirit's waking me up to pray and to think through a situation. You know, maybe there's something going on with my teams at work that I need to be aware of or, you know, something about people that we care about in ministry or something with our family. Um, And so, you know, I think the Holy Spirit will sometimes be waking me up to think about these things. But I can easily get like that, you know, hamster wheel where I'm just spinning you know, and I'm doing things that aren't going to help, you know, I'm just up thinking about, you know, when you do all the imagining the worst case scenario that could happen, and I'm not bringing faith into the situation in my mind, Um, and so one of the things that, you know, I've started having Chris ask me if I've been up in the night is, were you reading God's word? Were you praying? did you start researching social media or on the news about this thing that you were worried about? Because that's I, sh- I do not need to be doing that in the middle of the night and getting more worried about it. So, so let me just interject real quick, because I think um, we typically look at the hamster as the anxious one, right? But the sloth is no less anxious and no more healthy. Uh, that's not a better way to respond to stress. And actually, in some ways, it's a lot worse. Um, I remember my first job after college, I worked for a Christian drug and alcohol center in Detroit, and um, sometimes the the residents there who were coming out of a lifestyle of addiction, they would get upset, and they would get, you know, angry or whatever, and they would start acting in ways that are crazy, and I would just, like, be super calm, not display any emotion, Um, and and I felt like it didn't bother me. I didn't act like it didn't bother me if people would accuse me of stuff or if people would start a petition to get me fired, which did happen one time. <laughs> and I would act like it didn't bother me. And I would actually honestly feel like it didn't really bother me. And so my boss was like, man, you're like a rock. I'm going to start calling you the rock. And I remember thinking like, oh, that's, that feels kind of nice. Thanks for calling me a rock. I do like that about myself. But I started to realize over the years that um, that I was being unrealistic in the way that these things, I, I, I wasn't responding in a human way. I was responding in a robotic way or, or a lack of responding like a robot um, because that wasn't healthy. I needed to admit, like, you know, that did bother me when somebody accused me of something that I didn't do or told me I'm, I should be fired or whatever. Like, that stuff should bother me, but it wasn't. And so there was, I needed to grow emotionally and learning to handle that kind of stress. So the answer is renewing our minds and humbling ourselves under God Um, to adjust the pressure. We need to expect pressure. And if we don't have any pressure in our lives, you want to think, one, am I ignoring? Am I doing some patterns that aren't healthy? Or two, maybe I'm not living out God's calling for my life. Because we live in a world that, you know, has a battle going on with people who need the Lord and all these issues that God wants the kingdom of heaven to break through on. And guess who are the people that are going to do that? You know, and as we're doing that, there's going to be a certain level of stress and pressure. So if you don't have a level of stress and pressure, then maybe we're not entering in our calling fully like he's calling us to. Um, And anything that's going to bear fruit is going to come with that amount of resistance, but it'll be totally worth it. And when you're a parent, you'll definitely have pressure if if God leads you to do that. Um, Not that kids make you stress. That would never happen. 
So we just need to identify when we're starting to feel anxious, when you're starting to have that limbic response, your heart rate's going up, your mind's racing, you feel like you can't relax. Is this something that God is bringing to my attention for me to act upon, or is this something that the enemy is trying to do in my life and take steps accordingly in order for us to have the right pressure that God um, wants in our lives? So we want to get a little practical here uh, for the next part of this sermon. Um, how do you vent your pressure? Going back to the, to the gas tank motif. How do you vent your pressure? Because I think most of us, if not all of us, know that we should cast our anxieties on God. But maybe we don't know how to. Um, and there, the Word of God tells us how to do that, too, in a lot of different places. We're, we're not going to talk about all of them, but I just want to highlight a few truths from Scripture that, that teach us how to vent our stress on a regular basis to God. So the first one I want to look at is Philippians 4. And this is like becoming kind of a life verse for me because it's so, so amazing. Um, so turn to Philippians 4 with me. I don't think, do we have this one up on the? Okay, we do. Sweet. It's nice having Julie preach with me because my PowerPoints get better. Here's what Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So man, casting our anxieties on Jesus, that word casting is not a passive word, is it? It's an active word. Our anxieties will not automatically just like, I don't know, seep over onto God unless we actively cast them onto him. And so here are some ways that we can do that actively. Also, before I look at the, uh, the tips in this passage, I just want to kind of encourage you again. When this verse tells us, do not be anxious, I don't believe it's saying that we shouldn't feel certain things. We've been talking about that, but I just want to make sure it's clear that this passage isn't saying, do not be upset, right? Do not be stressed. Do not kick in the high gear emotionally when there's danger because God didn't create us to be emotional robots. Emotion is a huge part of how we discover truth. And we combine it with logic and we combine it with the word of God, right? It's not the only thing, but it's a, it's a huge part of how we discover truth. Um, and Jesus felt stress in the Garden of Gethsemane, didn't he? Jesus wasn't just like totally calm and relaxed when he was getting ready to go to the cross to endure the most excruciating physically and, and emotionally and spiritually thing that's, that anyone's ever experienced, right? He was in turmoil. Like he, was, he was distressed. I don't know if I would say that Jesus was anxious because the word of God, I think anxiety is more, more fear kind of focused. Jesus didn't, didn't have fear. He didn't doubt the Father's goodness. He responded righteously, but he responded emotionally and intensely, right? And so it's good for us. It's not only okay, but it's good, healthy for us to respond the way Jesus did. Yeah, so when the Bible says do not be anxious, um, really anxiety is a state of fearfulness. It's not, a it's not an emotion. It's a state of fearfulness. And so when our Lord himself experienced on this life a strong range of emotions, um, you can see he was angry at people exploiting others. 
He's so angry, he flipped tables. He was visibly angry. Um, he experienced, uh, and he never sinned. He experienced grief. He wept at Lazarus's death. He poured out his burdens to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane, but he never feared man, the devil, or the ultimate outcome, which is what we start to do. We start to fear what humans can do, and we start to fear the devil, and we start to fear the ultimate outcome. Um, but he was confident in the Father's sovereignty in his plans, and he was confident in the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Awesome. She's bringing it, ain't she? Come on, so I'd like to say amen. You say amen. <laughs> so the first pressure vent that this verse highlights for us is prayer and supplication. So supplication is a form of prayer, and that's asking for stuff. So it's cool to ask for stuff. But we, we respond to stress, to anxiety, in prayer and supplication. So we cast our cares on God in private, in our prayer closet. We, we pour out our stress to him there. And we also cast our cares on him with others because others can join with us in that prayer effort, right? So I don't just tell God about my stress, but I tell trusted people, I don't just tell everybody about my stress. If they can't do anything or help me, I'm not just going to tell everybody about it, but I'm going to tell people that I trust and that who will support me and, and speak God's truth to me. Because when I'm feeling afraid, when I'm feeling fear, then I'm doubting something about who God is, right? I'm doubting something about truth. The enemy's telling me lies that I'm believing when I feel fear. And so I need you guys, I need other Christians to remind me of what God's truth is. And I need you to pray for me. And so it's not just like I was telling our staff, I think, earlier this week, or maybe it was Julie, um, my least favorite kind of prayer meeting is only talking the whole time and then you're just like, oh, we ran out of time, so let's just close in prayer real quick because it's supposed to be a prayer meeting. Like, it can be, it's helpful to talk to each other about our, our problems and what's bothering us, right? But it has to move to prayer too because that's where we are engaging God's truth and we're engaging God's spirit in fixing this problem. So don't, I'm not trying to slam like sharing things with each other. We need those times of share. But we need those times of prayer too, right? It needs to be, it needs to be both. So we cast our cares on Him with others, um, and like Julie was saying, sometimes your anxiety might get to an unmanageable level, and there is no shame in getting help from somebody who's experienced, a licensed counselor, a Christian who's a licensed counselor who knows, who's who's had training in how to deal with this in a godly way. Because we don't have to be experts in everything. We're not experts in everything. But we can have people who are experts help us sort through those things. Thanksgiving is another um, vent that God has made for us. And there's actually a lot of clinical research. I love clinical research. It's hilarious. It's constantly like people of faith cope better with life stressors. And if you practice gratitude, you're going to have less anxiety and depression. It's like The more we research, the more we find out what God's God truth already has been saying for thousands of years. telling us. That's right. Um, so grat people who practice gratitude daily actually have less symptoms of depression and anxiety. It's because it can't occupy the same space at the same time, right? I can't be fearful and grateful at the same time. Um, so when I am experiencing, when you're experiencing something like this, anxious thoughts, um, starting to be grateful for how God has come through for you already in these different areas, historically for you, and um, things that you know about God, what you're grateful for, the blessings that you have, all of a sudden your perspective shifts. 
yeah, and that's been really huge. A lot of you probably heard me talk about this because um, a couple years ago I named my year my year of gratitude because I realized that I was getting negative about stuff. And one thing God, God started to show me during that year is that when I'm feeling upset about something, um, I start to get negative and I start to like spiral mentally and stuff like that and get anxious. And then God started showing me, like, you need to pause and start thanking me, like prayer with thanksgiving. So we don't just make our request known to God. This says to prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And so thanksgiving is a part of that process of prayer. And so God started showing me, like, thank me about something regarding the thing that's stressing you out. And so if, I don't know, if uh, my kids are stressing me out, <laughs> Seth said it, not me. <laughs> Rather than just like getting grumpy and complaining about them and saying, God, will you help these kids behave or whatever? Like start to thank God for my kids. I'm not ignoring the things that are bothering me. Like, you know, maybe they did something wrong, which they, they've done once or twice in their lives. Um, and so I can acknowledge that. But at the same time, like, man, I love my kids. Like, God, thank you for these wonderful kids. Like they want to obey. And they, they actually respond um, with sorrow when they do something wrong. Like, that's awesome. Thank you, Father. Right? If I'm like getting stressed out about my house, start thanking him about my house or my car or my finances, like all the things that God has blessed me with as I make those prayers about that same thing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And I notice, like, man, it doesn't take long for my attitude to start to shift when I do that. Like five minutes or ten minutes, I'm serious. Sometimes longer, but, but it can really affect my mood really, really quickly. And then the scripture tells us that as we do these things, what will happen? The peace of God will guard your hearts and minds. Your heart and your mind. But now as you do these things, as you pray and as you thank God, then peace starts to influence whatever situation that is. Um, it starts to influence your minds and your hearts. It influences your thoughts about that thing because God's truth is getting into those areas in our minds. And it also influences our feelings. Like I said, it changes my mood. So God cares about how you think and how you feel about those things. Event number three. We have two more, and I just want to mention these briefly, and then we're going to spend some time in prayer. Sound good? I'm going to give you a chance to vent your stress in just a few minutes. Event um, number three is slowing down. This is something that, uh, that God has been working on me as well for several years, and it's something we talk about in Conquer Series. We talk about slowing down a lot. Um, and it's in Isaiah 40, verses 28 through 31. Good, I didn't put it up there because I'm not going to read the whole thing. But write that down, Isaiah 40, 28 through 31. I'm just going to highlight a few uh, lines of this verse. The prophet Isaiah says, Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. And that's you guys. You're strong, you're young, but even you can only handle so much. Even you will get tired and burnt out. But they, but listen to this, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But it requires waiting on the Lord. They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. And the problem with waiting is that you can't wait quickly. You have to take time to wait, right? <laughs> Yeah, you, you can only wait slow. That's the only way to do it. Like um, a sloth. You can only wait like a sloth. That's why I'm so good at it. I said not like a sloth. Oh, okay, not like a sloth. Right, sorry. We've got our wires crossed. First time that's ever happened in marriage. 
You can't wait to sleep. I told them, I promised them that every time I was sarcastic, you would say that he's kidding. Oh, he's kidding. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I encourage you to take, take time daily to wait on God. Um, it is amazing, extremely healthy for your body and your mind to take Sabbath every week, to spend time, set the day aside, to rest and to focus on God, not to binge on media, but to set aside a time, set time aside <laughs> to focus on God. But also, we can't wait a whole week sometimes, right? I encourage you to take time daily to wait on God and to vent your stress to him. And one thing for me that's been really helpful, um, and we talk about this in Conquer Series too, is taking time every night, like 20 or 30 minutes before bed, turning off all screens, all media, and just slow down mentally and, and just talk to God for a while. Talk to him about what you're stressed about. And for me, many times I don't even notice what's bothering me until I slow down and take time. And I think some of you guys probably experience that as well, where you feel agitated and you start being snappy towards your friends or towards your family or towards your roommates or whatever, and you don't even know really what's going on, and you blame school or you'll blame relationships or whatever. You blame these different things, health problems that you're having, and you don't even take time to notice like what's really happening in your heart. So slow down, ask God, okay, what's really bothering me? And then God can begin to address those things. Do that daily. Wait on God. Um, and I encourage you, and not only to turn off media at night, but just like reduce the amount of intake of information. Um, take times throughout your day rather than like, you know, looking at Instagram reels for 10 minutes. Like take that time to just breathe and, and ask the Lord and pray and pray in the spirit if he leads you to. Like, just take these times that God gives us throughout the day to release our stress to him continually. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um, so event number four is service. And I don't know how many of you were here when I spoke before on um, serving, was it serving the poor? I can't even remember what the topic was. <laughs> but um, the thing about service is that actually it is a huge antidote to depression and anxiety. Um, because depression and anxiety is an internal thing where we're getting very in our own heads. And there's nothing that'll help your perspective shift than serving people who are struggling. So you know, you start to, you're, you're worried about how much your rent has gone up and how hard it is in your housing situation. Then you go serve someone who's homeless, who's trying to figure out their next meal every day and, and how to carry that throughout their nomadic life right now. And you're like, okay, thank you for this crazy landlord and this apartment that costs way too much. And, you know, these roommates that don't clean up after themselves because I got a bed to sleep in tonight and I have a fridge where I can put food and I can make my own food, you know? So you start, your perspective really starts to shift. Um, and also, you're doing something that's just healthy for your soul. I mean, God commands it that we serve, um, and that we're around, that God commands that the body of Christ is, is always extending to those who don't have what we have, and that we're sharing our resources with them. Um, so Isaiah 58, uh, 6 through 12, if you want to write that down, um, it talks about the fast that God has chosen, and that was what I spoke on um, last time, but it's the fact that this is the fast that God has chosen for our sanctification, and that ultimately leads to our healing. So it says, um, you know, the fast that I've chosen to undo the yoke, to work with the oppressed, break every yoke, share your bread with the hungry, bring the homeless poor into your house, when you see the naked to cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh, then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall 
spring up speedily. So it actually promises our healing as we serve others. So if, if service isn't a part of your life, I know that your schedules are really busy. They'll never be less busy probably than now. And so these rhythms that we're talking about, finding ways to incorporate them into your rhythms of your life, serve as a core group together. You know, take some of your social time and do it together. Um, take some of the time that you would be binging Netflix. I promise you're going to feel better <laughs> at the end than if you just binged a Netflix show that you went and served at a food pantry. And I happen to have a place that you could do that if, if you ask. Again, my tendency, and so maybe some of you are like this, my tendency when I get stressed is to just like close in on myself, to think about my problems, right? And forget about what other people are struggling with or the needs that other people have. And that is not God's design. I remember telling Pastor Nino when Julie was pregnant for Seth, I remember telling him like, man, I'm just like, I get in my own head so often. It's going to be great to have a kid that I can take care of and just like get my attention off myself sometimes because like <laughs> if I'm left to myself too much, I just like, I get in my head. And some of you might be like that as well. So if you can turn your attention outward, like yes, don't ignore your problems, deal with the problems, bring them direct, confront them directly, bring them to Jesus, and then turn your attention outward and love somebody else. And as you do, your light might just break forth like the dawn, hallelujah. All right. Can, can I give one example? Absolutely. We, so we talked this morning about an illustration, and we forgot to put it in our PowerPoint, and it would have been a really cute picture. So if you ask me, I can show you the Lily picture, our six-year-old, um, when she was all harnessed up, and she did a tight ropes course up many feet in the air. There's dispute in our family how many feet in the air, because I, I was like, I think it's like 80 feet in the air, and they were it's like... about 15 or 20, though, so it was high enough. So it wasn't 80 feet. Um, but Lily, like feet, so though, Tennessee, so. they like are raised different over there. So Tennessee, you know, here, like they, you have to sign five waivers and, you know, they don't let your kids do hardly anything dangerous, whatever. In Tennessee, they're like, she'll be fine. Let her jump off the highest thing and the, the harness will catch her. And I'm like, really? Are you sure? Is this? So I was really nervous about this high ropes course and all these zip lining things for our six-year-old girl who you've all seen, little Lily. Um, Lily was not scared. She was like very bold. And we did this high ropes course where, I mean, if you fell, the harness would catch you, you know, but you literally are tight rope walking and you're going over these one thing to another. And her little six-year-old body doing that, I was like, I don't know if she should do this, Chris. And he's like, she's going to go with me and she's going to be fine. And the whole time she was not scared. I mean, she's walking out. I'm watching her from behind. You know, I'm feeling nervous. I'm looking down like this is high, but I was back and I could see them you know, up further than me, and they were just going along, and she was just going along, and the reason she was going along was because she was with her dad. You know, he was confident. She's like, dad's never dropped me. He'll catch me if I fall. I'm sure, I mean, I don't know if she thought through it. I thought through it, but she wasn't really thinking through it, but it would have been foolish if she would have ran up there without a harness by herself and just tightrope walk, so it's not about being foolish. It's not about, like, not sensing danger. Um, but the fact is that we have with us like a strong Heavenly Father who's never let us down, who's not going to let us drop. You know, he's been with us before. Yep, this is a pressure situation. Yep, you're high in the air. You got to do something hard, you know, but he's going to be with you and he's going to make sure that you're okay through it all. I think it's important for us to realize that peace is not always calm. Like Peace does not mean inactivity. 
right? Doesn't doesn't mean like if your heart rate increases and you kick into high gear because there's something you need to handle, that doesn't mean you lack peace necessarily, right? P you can have peace and and be working hard and be handling something that's difficult, right? Um, but a peace is like just a sense of well-being, like I'm safe. I know that the Father has me, and he won't let me down. He's never let me down in the past, and he won't start now, right? Um, will you guys stand with us? We're going we're gonna to take some time to respond. Can you all come and play that lovely song you have prepared? Yeah. Well, whatever song God leads you to play, you guys play, okay? Um, but I want to take, take some time to respond. You can sit down. Let's practice what this God is teaching us what God is teaching us through his word about these vents that we can place on our souls to vent our pressure, okay? Um, and the, like I said, this is not an exhausted list, exhaustive list, um, but I think it's a good start. And the Holy Spirit can start here and begin to teach us how to respond in healthy ways. So um, as we play and sing, man, I encourage you to cast your anxieties on Jesus. Tell him what's on your mind. Tell him what's bothering you. Practice prayer and supplication. Practice thanksgiving as, as we pray here. And um, I also encourage you to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal unhealthy ways that you're dealing with stress now. So what things do you normally do that are destructive when you're stressed? Do you run to binge media? Do you run to some sort of sin? Do you run to food or substance? Or do you isolate and close yourself in and, and just ignore the outside world. Like, what, what is it that's unhealthy about the ways that you respond to stress? And what is God's answer to that? How do you respond in a healthy way instead, right? And so we'll practice that as we sing, all right? And if anyone wants prayer, I mean, for sure, come forward. We can talk. We can pray. Um, I encourage you. Maybe you need to talk to a, a core leader or a staff person and ask them to pray. So we'll practice prayer to God personally and maybe publicly right now, too, if he leads you to, all right? So the options are open for how you respond right now, all right? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word, for your truth, God, that speaks to our whole lives. We thank you that you care about the details of our lives and the things that are bothering us from the smallest thing to the biggest thing, God. You care about it. And nothing's too small to bring to you. Nothing's too big to bring to you, God. And you have responses for all of it. You have answers for all of it, Father. I thank you that, that you're present with us. And you're not only present, but you, um, you're active. And you're changing things on our behalf. And you're changing us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>